Thank you so much for inviting me, Pastor Zach, to come and share uh, my testimony with you. As you heard earlier, I am not just here to share a message. I'm also helping you with your clinic tomorrow. So I, I look forward to working with each of you and answering any questions you might have. I just started with Life Hope uh, January of this year. So you'll be seeing me more um, going around clinic to clinic. Um, my name is Tara Vang, and today my message is titled Mustard Greens and Mountains. It's an interesting title, and I'll explain as you listen to my message. Um, before I begin, I, I love teaching um, the audience how to speak something in my language. So if you're listening, I want you to listen extra closely and try to repeat, repeat after me. Nya Zhong. So Hmong people, the Hmong language is a tonal language. So if you could kind of sing it, it would sound more accurate. Nya Zhong. Yes, it sounds wonderful. Next part. New Kishu. Nya Zhong, Nu Kishu. Now turn to your neighbor, smile, and say that to them. You just learned how to speak, or well, how to say Happy Sabbath in the Hmong language. The Hmong people are an indigenous people group from the mountainous regions of China, Vietnam, Burma, Thailand, and Laos. They always live in the mountains, so you'll never find them in the cities. They're always country folk, I guess you can say. And this is a photo of my parents. They were born and raised in northern Laos in a Hmong village, very remotely, and Hmong people, as I said, they're indigenous people, so they're not, um, they're an ethnic minority wherever they are located, okay? And these are my parents. They don't look like this anymore, but that's them when they were younger. And I'm going to start my testimony with a word of prayer. So if you would bow your heads, I'd like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the story that I'm going to share. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured upon this church. And Lord, I just pray that you would speak to your people. All this I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start my testimony with a testimony. I received a phone call from a 91-year-old lady in May of 2017. Today she's 93, but at that time she is 91. And what was interesting about this phone call was that she was calling the phone number on the back of every Hmong glow tract. You see, Hmong glow tracts, which were recently translated, my family and I did that, um, on the back of the tracts, there's a phone number, and that phone number leads to my cell phone. And I can trace and track who calls it. 
Well, this lady called my phone number, and I knew she had received a glow tract because she was calling my glow tract phone number. And I, I didn't think much about it other than she was interested in ordering glow tracks in Hmong. And I asked her, how did you hear about this? How did you hear about Hmong glow tracks? And then she told me her name. And when she told me her name, it really shocked me. Actually, I got really emotional because I knew who she was. She didn't know who I was, but I knew who she was. Her name is Jean Hall, and her husband's name is Pastor Richard Hall. In 1957, they would be the first Seventh-day Adventist missionaries to step foot into the country of Laos. I, to me, they were like a legend. I never thought that through the Glow Track ministry, I would be reunited with this very special couple. That's why I couldn't speak to her when she called me on the phone. And I told her that I really needed to meet her in person someday. In 1957, they were the first Adventist missionaries to Laos, and Elder Richard Hall was a missionary pilot. They believed in a very special message found in Revelation 14.7. And I know this because I read a very special article. You know, one thing my generation loves to do is Google everything. So I Googled his name. I wanted to research and try to find out as much as I could about this pilot missionary. This is from 1968, March. It's from the Ministry Magazine. The purpose of private plane travel in our work is to provide the missing link of swift transportation in areas where near impenetrable distances hinder the spread of the gospel or halt any medical aid to those who desperately needed it. Richard Hall, with his Cessna, opened our first church in Laos. He flew materials to build, he flew materials to build the church. He was a pilot missionary who really believed in the literal fulfillment of Revelation 14.6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. You've probably read this over and over and over. But as I better understand my testimony, this verse has become reality. It's come to life for, my, for me. In Revelation 14.6, if you're there, say amen. If you need some time, say have mercy. <laughs> Revelation 14, 6. Once you get there, you can say amen. If you need more time, say have mercy. Revelation 14, 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Saying with a loud voice, verse 7, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. 
by God's grace, these two missionaries, this missionary couple and family, came to the country of Laos because they believed they needed to go to the most remote area to share the gospel to people. They came to northern Laos. They came to a village that would then touch my family. You have to remember, Laos is nearly 100% not Christian. There's no reason on this earth that can explain why they came there other than God is so intentional. I thank them, well, I've thanked them for coming because they have helped me to realize how intentional God is in each and every one of our lives. This mission would have been virtually impossible without an airplane. In 1957, they came, and in 1958, the first Laotian converts were baptized. 37 of those converts, and many of them were Hmong people. You see, there was many, many, many ethnic groups of that area. And I actually asked one of the missionaries, why did you spend time with Hmong people? We are, you you would never find us anywhere unless you were in the mountains. But they told us, they told me that it was because they were open and receptive to the gospel. Amen. Let me share with you what happened out there in the jungles of Laos. Pastor Richard Hall is soon replaced by a 25-year-old Filipino pastor by the name of Abel Pangyan. Uh, this is, film this is what they pastor did. Pastor Pangyan there uh, in the jungles of Laos. And, and let's see if we can roll that beautiful footage. Take us through what we're seeing here. All right. What we see here is this man went hunting, and then he put his gun. When he picked it up, it went off and hit his shoulder there. The bullet went through the front side of his shoulder and then to the back and asked me if I could help him. And here, going to the village, helping them with their medical needs. This man was bitten by a wild boar and I was asked to help him. So I was suturing here in a primitive way. And I was asked to apply that one hour of dentistry, how to extract. I paused it right there, just in case you you couldn't handle it. By God's grace, they brought the medical missionary work to reach the hearts of the people. Amen? And it was so primitive. He had zero dental training. We can't do that tomorrow, okay? He had... Zero medical training. We can't do that tomorrow either. But by God's grace, they did not lose a single soul. He was trained for one hour of dentistry, one hour of medical work, and he really reached the hearts. They came to them constantly for medical help. How did they do their work? Did they bring bulldozers to the jungles of Laos? building a church? 
building a school. Did you build a school on a flat plain somewhere? Did you bring in heavy equipment? Did you bring in the large bulldozers? <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you did that and, and tell us while this film is rolling. Well, uh, we had to use whatever materials were available. So in that village, we gathered bamboos to split them and use them as roof. And then we had to cut down timbers to use as posts. And here are the Hmong people helping me to gather this material so we could build a school for them. And this is the village chief leading out leading his people to help us build a school in their village. Now, in a minute, we'll see a man uh, with, uh, if, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, there he is, a man with a, with a, with a gunshot with a wound. Gunshot wound. Tell yes. us a little bit about, about this man. Well, this, gun, this man with a gunshot wound said, I am well enough. I cannot just stand by without helping. So he himself started helping us to gather materials for the school. <laughs> yeah. Amen. So, so was the school ultimately built? Tell us just a little bit about how the, the, the project was finished. Well, the school was completed not long after that. But in gathering the materials like this, we had to go through uh, jungle trails infested with blood suckers. So... If you would see there in one of the scenes, I was bitten by a blood sucker. That sounds um, very, very adventurous, Pastor. <laughs> you know, when I see these videos, it just uh, it just inspires me um, how how they built using what they knew. And Hmong people are very knowledgeable about trees, cutting trees. To the point where um, recently, just a couple of years ago, my brother had this large tree in front of his house, and it needed to be cut down. And so I was talking to my dad about it, and I was like, Dad, I think we need to call a professional tr uh, tree cutter. I don't know what the name is for them, but we need to call some professionals to take this tree down or else it's going to come down. And my dad, he's like in his 60s at this point, and he's like, ah, no worries, I got it. And I was thinking, wait, dad, no, you don't got it. I've never seen you take down a tree. Anyway, I go out that day, maybe shopping, running errands. I come back, and the tree's taken down. I was like, dad, did you do this? And he said, yeah, I took it down, no worries. I did this all the time in Laos. And so when I saw this video, I finally understood, all right, Dad, you got it. So it's, it's so awesome that I got to experience this as I learned more about ministry and my own people. Finally, what did they do with the church that was And let's look at the one of the, right. the baptism in the river. Tell us a little bit about so this one. Shortly after we arrived on the other side of the Mekong River, which bordered uh, northern Thailand and Laos. That's the Mekong River. We had the first group of Hmong people who were baptized, and the Lord gave me the opportunity to baptize them there in this picture. Excellent. And then let's take a look at the next picture. We okay. have a, a, a group there of Hmong in a native dress. Yes. And tell us a little bit about what we're seeing here. Well, these are a group of Hmong people in their beautiful, colorful costumes. Now... The Lord bless us that uh, the first Seventh-day Adventist church in Laos 
was published with more than 40 members, mostly Hmong people. That's right. And there we see, we see that, that, that picture of that first congregation. Yes, that's the first Seventh-day Adventist church in Laos in 1959. By God's grace, they were able to reach the hearts of Hmong people. And I'm telling you, my story is about to come in because it fits in this story. But let me just rephrase what Richard Hall did. He was a pilot missionary in Southeast Asia for 20 years. He was called the Flying Samaritan. He pioneered schools, churches, and medical missionary work in Thailand and Laos. He's a pilot, a tooth puller, ordained minister, a medicine man, a repairman, and a mission president. He wears cowboy, boot, cowboy boots and can't remember birthdays. When he enrolled in Walla Walla College, he announced that he would take whatever course that would get him to the mission field. And Laos had not been a country that had been worked on. Sorry, I am reading from... What, wait, what is this? The Central Union Reaper. This is August 13, 1947. Again, Google researching, trying to find more about this, this gentleman. Um, he went into Laos, and it hadn't been worked on, but he and his family packed their suitcases and went, not knowing exactly where they were going. They went to Namta, and that's actually the, the town that my parents are from, and it wasn't long, be- long when the villagers started coming to them seeking medical help. And he told them, I'm not a doctor. But they responded, you're an American, aren't you? And that's how his medical missionary branch of his mission outreach began. He started with just very basic um, hydrotherapy. But eventually he went to Bangkok And he would bottle up medicines, not based on the name of the drug, but based on the symptoms. So he would go to his pharmacy and look for the bottle labeled fever. That's how he did his medicine out there. I just think I would have loved hanging out with him. He passed away last year before I got to meet him. But one day, I pray that I will get to meet him. As they were out there in Laos in the 50s, late 50s and 60s, it wasn't until 10 years before my grandfather, Gisang Vang, decided to consider Christianity. During that time, my dad was under spiritual attack. He was 20 years old, 21 years old, And the then known time, at that time, in the Hmong culture, the spiritual attack that he was under meant only one thing. He had no time left to live. Hmong people believe in a spiritual worship. The traditional spiritual practice of Hmong people is shamanism. Has anybody ever heard of shamanism? A few of you. 
Shamanism is a practice that involves a practitioner reaching altered states of consciousness in order to perceive and interact with what they believe to be a spirit world and channel these energies into this world. I know we're good Adventists and we don't watch movies, but if you've ever heard of the movie Avatar, um, and it has blue people, James Cameron is the director. In that movie, there's a shaman. That's the closest thing of recent Hollywood that I could think of that displays shamanism. Hmong people believe in shamanism in a spiritual world. They also, by God's grace, Hmong people believe in a creator. Um, they've always believed in a creator. And if I had time, I can describe how in our culture we have a story, a flood story. We have a Tower of Babel story. Without knowing the Bible at all, and you were going to speak to somebody, they would be able to tell you a version of a flood story and a Tower of Babel story. So God is working closely trying to reach our people they do believe in a creator but they don't know that this creator wants to be their friend and that's the impact that christians can have on Hmong people during this time my dad was under spiritual attack my grandfather didn't know what to do so he started considering christianity but you see for Hmong people to become of a new faith meant an array of several things the new faith, when you decide not to be shaman or shamanism anymore, meant that you were exploring Mormonism, Catholicism, and any form of Christianity that was available. And all of those were available to the Hmong people. The missionaries of every walk of faith were available to them. So my grandfather didn't know what to do. How would he decide what to become? He decided that he would start observing the missionaries. That's all he could do. He was illiterate and didn't understand many things, but he could only observe, and that's what he did. And he would base his observation on three things. How many things? Three things, yes. Friendliness, faithfulness, and effectiveness. Can you repeat that? Friendliness, faithfulness, and effectiveness. Exactly. He wanted to know, did these missionaries, were they friendly people? Did they love the Hmong people? Two, were they faithful? Did they believe in what they were teaching? And three, effectiveness. Did our lives become better once we became Seventh-day Adventists or other groups? He needed answers, but he needed time because there were so many groups to watch and look look at. He didn't know what to do. But after six months of observation, his mind was made up. There was only one group that genuinely loved the Hmong people. There was only one group that believed in their teachings on health. They kept the Sabbath. And the most important aspect, when these missionaries prayed, God answered. When these missionaries prayed for healing, there was healing. 
my grandfather decided to become a Seventh-day Adventist by God's grace. And when he made this decision, along with other Hmong people of that time, within 24 hours, there was healing in the home. All idols and all altars in the home were discarded. They began keeping the Sabbath, and they began going to church. But then you think, why doesn't everybody become an Adventist that is Hmong? Who wouldn't want healing? Well, to become a Seventh-day Adventist was a complete lifestyle change for a Hmong person. You see, the other groups, they allowed you to practice shamanism and Christianity. They allowed you to keep your altars, to continue eating how, the way you needed to eat, wanted to eat, continue spiritualism. It was a, it was, it was easy to become other groups. And they thought, why can't we have it all? So let's become groups that allow that. But you see, my, my grandfather was really desperate. He wanted, he was willing to change lifestyle in order to save my dad. My dad was not only his one and only son, but he, he was his only one and only child alive. So a lot was at stake just to save his child. After six months, they became Seventh-day Adventist. And during that time, as the work was growing in the Adventist church, and there was also a war that forced the Halls and the Ponyons out of Laos. The most heart-ripping experience of his mission life, this is speaking of Hall, was the last departure from Laos. Says Hall, I knew that some of those 37 who had become Christians would probably become discouraged and fall away without pastoral leadership. As he was loading his small plane for the last evacuation flight out of Laos, many of those who had heard his sermons crowded around the plane and begged him to baptize them before they left. Before he left. Some were weeping, Pastor Hall recalls, but it was too late. Time had run out. The sound of war rumbled closer and closer. I had to leave the country. Pastor Hall left the country of Laos not knowing if any of those that were baptized would ever survive this war. And during this time, my parents were in the midst of this Vietnam War. Many of you may have been alive during that time. The war crept and it got worse. On April 30, 1975, Saigon fell. And that declared the end of the war. America lost. America had hired Hmong people to fight this war with America. You see, Vietnam had fallen to communism, but the country of Laos had not yet fallen to the hands of communism. In effort to keep communism only in Vietnam, they needed expert jungle guerrilla fighters. They hired 
300,000 Hmong men, boys, and women to fight this war, to try to stop communism from spreading into all of Southeast Asia. The Hmong people were happy to help fight against this war because they wanted freedom. They were used to freedom, being in the mountains and living away and having independence. But when America lost the war, 50,000 Hmong men, boys, and women died fighting for America. And genocide was declared upon the Hmong people. Because when America lost, they had to pull out all their resources, all their GIs, every soldier, every Marine was pulled out. Every military official left Laos. But then you have this group of people that helped America, and they no longer have a home. They're considered considered traitors. So the Hmong people were under genocide. And my dad was a medic during the war. He has a lot in common with Desmond Doss. He went town to town, helping to bandage up and heal wounded pilots, wounded soldiers, American and Hmong soldiers. And he knew that he would be a target. When the war ended, the soldiers, the communist soldiers would come into the villages and they came in with rice bags and they came in friendly at the beginning. They were telling the Hmong people, come and be our brothers and sisters. Come and join us. But soon, men started disappearing. Men started being killed. They started killing everyone. And my parents knew that they could no longer stay in Laos. But they didn't know what to do. What do you do when you're a commoner and you have nowhere to go? They started praying. Amen? When we don't know what to do, God knows. They started praying and they kept praying. And God revealed to them to escape and to leave. And to leave during monsoon season. Monsoon season, which we'll never experience here in California, is a time when it rains a lot. And the reason why they would have to wait until it rains is because the droplets would prevent your footprints from being traced. It would prevent leaves crackling under your feet as you escaped. It would prevent soldiers from hearing you leaving. Many Hmong people died trying to escape, trying to live. The only path to escape was to go to Thailand. Thailand was on the west side of Laos. But the only way to get to Thailand was to cross the Mekong River. The Mekong River was a large rushing river. And the Hmong people were mountain people. They didn't get to be around water too much. Many of them didn't know how to swim at all. My dad, my grandfather, my mom, and my oldest brother were in an exodus party. There was about 20 of them. They were all traveling together to escape. They came to the banks of the Mekong River. When they got there, my dad 
found a boat keeper. And this boat keeper had a boat. And my dad hired him to get the people, his party, across this, this rushing river. As everybody crowded into the boat, it started sinking. Not everyone can get on this boat. But you see, at that time, the communist soldiers were getting really smart. They would station soldiers along the banks of the river because they knew people were trying to escape. In order to rebuild the country, they needed people. But the people were leaving, and they they started killing them. On the Exodus, you can find families drugging their babies with opium so that the baby would not cry, so that soldiers could not hear them. Many babies were overdosed and died. They were left on the side. Many families saw bodies left and right as they were escaping. I don't have time to describe the horror, but you can only imagine this is what they're experiencing. On this boat, no one would get off. There was somebody in the boat that had a gun. He even pointed the gun into the heads of the different people on this boat, telling them to get off or they would be killed. But no one would get off. They would rather stay on the boat than die trying to live. You see, there's only one Christian family on this boat. My mom, my dad, my oldest brother, and my grandfather. Eventually, three people would would volunteer to stay behind. My grandfather was one of them. He told my parents, I'll get off. so that you can go forward. The first boat trip made it across safely. My oldest brother, he was five at that time. He still remembers getting out of that boat. And the the river was very cold. The boat went back to pick up the remaining three. They also left all their stuff with the remaining three. On the second boat trip, they heard soldiers and all they could hear in the middle of the night was my grandfather yelling out my dad's name. That boat never made it across. The boat capsized. We don't know what happened. But my grandfather never made it across. But I'm not here to to cry about this because I'm thankful. I'm thankful for our message of hope that life doesn't end here on earth. Amen.
my grandfather died drowning. And my whole life, my parents never let me be in the water. I don't know how to swim. I actually just learned. I took 10 lessons earlier this summer. It's one of my biggest fears. And I'm still overcoming it. My parents made it across to Thailand. And they ended up in refugee camps. And these refugee camps were like jail. They didn't know what to do. They weren't allowed out. They weren't allowed to go anywhere. They couldn't get collect wood. They weren't allowed to do anything that a normal person can do to gather food for water or anything. They had to be told when to eat and where to go. Eventually, they were granted asylum in 1978 to come to America. They landed at LAX. This is the first family photo in America. This is the first Hmong Seventh-day Adventist family to arrive in America. My parents and my two oldest brothers. The difference between a refugee and an immigrant is that a refugee has no prior knowledge to the host country. An immigrant tends to understand where they're going and why they're going. A refugee comes from a war-torn country. They have no idea. They don't speak the language of the host country. They don't know what a doorknob is. They don't know what a toilet is. They don't know what a grocery store is. They don't know what bread or food or... They don't know any of the things that we understand. That's what a refugee is. And my family came and landed and eventually settled in Santa Barbara. And for the first week... My parents were so hungry. Somehow they had a loaf of bread and they ate one slice, each of them, for a week. They didn't know and they were hungry. They were put in a hotel for the first week of their arrival in America and a black man, an African-American janitor, saw them and he spent $19 of his own money to feed them. I don't know his name. I don't know where he is today. All I know is that my dad remembers how much he spent to feed them. And he hasn't forgotten to this day. Ten years later, or several years later, more kids are added to the family. There's eight kids in my family total. I'm the youngest daughter. And, oh, there I am. And I like to say I brought Dora famous. I made Dora famous because my haircut looks just like Dora. And this is actually a, a family photo of us in front of a church. This is actually the Visalia Church um, when they had the Hmong company there. My family came to America and we, we were very blessed my dad, when they first arrived in America, they didn't know what to do. There was a group of Hmong refugees that landed in Santa Barbara as well. But these refugees were not Christians. So they invited my parents, why don't we come and rebuild our lives together? We're all Hmong. We speak the same language. We're from the same country. But here's the, the problem. They still practice spiritualism and all the things 
of the old culture. So then my parents had to face, what do we do? Do we continue to be around our people who look and speak and eat like us? Or do we continue to become what God has called us to be, which is to be Seventh-day Adventists? So my dad actually wrote a letter to the Thailand-Bangkok Adventist Missions. He didn't know where the church was in America. He wrote this letter, told them, this is my address. If there are any Adventist churches around, please tell them where we live. Three weeks later, there was a knock on the door of my family's home. It was the Sabbath day. The local Santa Barbara Seventh-day Adventist church pastor was there. He came to pick up my family up for church. Praise the Lord. For six months since when my parents arrived, they would have a ride to go to church every Sabbath. And that was the church that I grew up in. And I remember so many things, Bible stories, Bible readathons, vacation Bible schools, um, potluck. They always allowed us children to go first. And I have not changed since. I have to remind myself I am no longer that refugee kid that gets to go first for being a kid, but sometimes someone has to lead the pack, right? So I, I'm really thankful for that church. You see, church family, love does, it doesn't just cover a multitude of sins, but for newly arrived refugees, it helps us overcome trauma, loss, and unimaginable pain. You know, my parents, an added layer to that was that they left the community because the community, they were not Christians. They left their own community here in America because they identified with Seventh-day Adventists more. But the church family brought us in like we were their own. And that is what kept us in the church. And I believe that. These are pictures of early days growing up. This is before my time. This is actually a photo of my family in front of, at the church at that time. This is what my family looks like now. We have doubled. (laughs) And this is a photo of the first three glow tracks that my family and I helped to translate. Um, What happens when someone passes away, the um, health message and the Sabbath message. And we would give these glow tracks every year in the city of Fresno. We have a festival that brings 100,000 Hmong people. And we used to go to be entertained, to eat our cultural foods, but now we go with glow tracks. Praise the Lord. God has called us for a special purpose. This couple received a glow tract for three years at this festival. And after three years of receiving it every year, they decided to become Seventh-day Adventists. 
because of a glow tract. And not just her and her husband, but also her sister and her brother-in-law. Another thing that my family is working on today is um, translating Bible studies into our language. This is the It Is Written Bible study guides. You may have seen or heard about these guides. Um, There are no Bible studies in the Hmong language. But by God's grace, that's going to change. My brother and my sister-in-law are working on this diligently. Um, As you can see, we've never seen anything on prophecy in our own language. It's really exciting. Mrs. White tells us, if we were quick in discerning the opening providences of God, we should be able to see the multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America, a divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message into the nations of the earth. As I read this, I realized God is speaking to me. I used to question, like, why did I have to grow up as a, as a child of refugees? You know, beyond kindergarten, my parents could not help me in school. You know, we are left to do everything on our own. I was a housing specialist. I filled out every application. I was a social worker since I was five years old because I could speak English or learn English because I could read, I could write. These are the, the titles I held, mini hats I held. My brother, he actually topped me and said, well, I've been doing our parents' taxes since I was 10. So I said, all right, I never did the taxes. I did everything else. But I always wondered, why, Lord, did you bring us through such horror? But now I realize why. It's in learning and studying the word of God and studying spirit of prophecy that God has helped me to realize my purpose in life. Amen? God in his providence has brought men to our very doors, brought them to America, and thrust them, as it were, into our arms that they might learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. In order for us to finish the work, we start right here in America. Everybody in the world is in our country and we have such a privilege to be able to reach them this quote is saying many some of them who accept the truth will go back and reach their own people and they're going to communicate this knowledge of the third angel's message to their own people the 1040 window is a window where it's where Christianity is very difficult to penetrate. And my parents came from the heart of the 1040 window. And I'm realizing as I go in through, as I'm part of ministry, that God has been so intentional. There is no reason why I should be standing in front of you to share what God has done in my life. I should not be alive I mean, I could even tell about my mom. She was told after her first child in America, her third child, she had eight, that she needed to not have children, that she needed to have abortions because she was a refugee. And many times refugees are are told certain things and they're not allowed to enjoy the privileges of others. Praise God my mom didn't do that because I wouldn't be here. 
What are we needing? What are Hmong people needing today? Well, we have projects, ministry projects. We need Bibles. We have Bibles translated, but we need more Bibles into the country of Laos and Thailand and Vietnam, which are communist countries. It is not easy to be a Christian. In fact, my grand, uh, my uncle, he lives in Thailand. He was one of 12 boys that were trained by the missionaries as children. Well, he became the, the conference president of Thailand missions for 40 years. He's retired, but, you know, not retired of the work. He goes into Laos to bring Bibles in creative ways because you can't bring a Bible through the traditional. You can't bring it across the border. They lost 900 songbooks and 60 Bibles recently because they were confiscated by the authorities. These people, Hmong people in these countries are hungry for the truth. So my family and I have been involved in fundraising for Bibles because they are so hungry for Bibles. They also need church buildings. They need basic things like water filters to have clean water. Funding for Hmong church plants in America. There's several Hmong church plants in our in America, but they need help buying churches and other in other ways. There's needs for missionaries to go to these countries to be an example of Christ. This is a picture of a mustard green. You know, when when people think of what I what they like to eat, they may think of other things. But for me, what this is what I like to eat. This is soul food, homemade food. Like if I just had this, I'd be happy. Well, you know, one one thing about this story is uh, my mom. She's such a she. She's so awesome. She, in the midst of escaping the war, she kept seeds. She couldn't imagine life without planting or growing her own food. So when she came to America, she planted the seeds that she had saved. And during the first harvest, all the Hmong people of that time looked at her and said, how did you remember to bring our seeds? And by doing that, she gave them seeds. And then they planted their own. And I asked my mom, mom, do you still have like the same plant? I mean, like, I mean, it's germinated many times. She's like, oh yeah. I'm just like, mom, you need to preach. That's exactly how the Lord works. A seed planted. I think about, as I'm closing, I think about what Richard Hall did. They were there for only a few short years. But what an impact that young people could do to, um, to an unreached people group. And I stand before you today, brothers and sisters, because I recognize that this is not my story. This is God's story. It's got God written all over it. And as my brother comes up, um, I just wanted to end with something that I wrote. Actually, my family and I, we came together and we wrote this. It's called Thank You. 
Thank you, Mom and Dad, for raising us around loving church families. Bill Kaloudis for knocking on my parents' doors every Sabbath, picking us up for the first six months of our arrival to America. Mr. and Mrs. Himmelwright for being our second parents, driving us everywhere, introducing us to the first vegetarian burger, instilling us a love for music, and Mr. H., sharing with us about your favorite topic, evidence of God's creation. The gardeners for faithfully transporting us to church programs, revelation seminars, choir practice, vespers, gym nights, youth church. Net 96 with Mark Finley changed our lives forever, and you took us to every meeting. The Palm family for being the first family to invite us into your home, for Thanksgiving dinner and bringing us kids presents Christmas, uh, during Christmas. We've never forgotten the love that you've shown us. My list goes on and on. Thank you, Judy Aiken, for your service and dedication to Southeast Asia. Thank you, Richard Hall and Jeannie Hall, for believing and going to Laos in 1957, accepting the call of Revelation 14.6. Thank you for opening your heart to my people. Your missionary influence has changed my life forever. My message today, church family, is to appeal to you. How is this family, this church, helping the community around us? Tomorrow we have a very special opportunity to do just that. There are people in this community that need more than Life Hope Centers. They need someone to knock on their door for six months and bring them to church. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this testimony. Lord, uh, I just pray a special prayer upon your church here in Templeton. I pray that they would be inspired and I pray that your mission, your mission work for each of us would grow and be solidified. Thank you for this beautiful Sabbath day and I pray that you would be with the church members and this church as we prepare for outreach and the clinic that is to come tomorrow. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.